Hey guys, welcome back to the Waterlad Podcast and the last episode of Season 2. What a year it's been. So many absolute lads who have come on the podcast. Extremely grateful for anyone who has given up their time to come on and to anyone who has given up their time to listen to the podcast. Very much appreciated. But this episode is brought to you by Mac Finlayson. What a lad he is. And if you are keen to support the podcast, head over to waterlad.com and go get yourself some merch or coffee or even get involved with the discounts to Pure Sports CBD or Mint Undies. Anyway, got an absolute lad for you this one, so let's get to it. Wow, with it being the last episode of season two, it's always super important to finish the year as strongly as possible. So I knew we needed an absolute lad, and thankfully I have got him. He is a Nelson legend who has gone on to become a star of the international stage for Ireland, and on his way, he has been massive for sides, including the Tasman Muckle, the Chiefs, and the New Zealand Maldives, and of course his current side, the Irish powerhouse Leinster. He's also had a few bigger setbacks than most along his way, which makes for a very inspiring story. And of course, he is one of the biggest lads you will ever meet. It is the great James Lowe. Welcome, mate. <laughs> Cheers for the uh, introduction, head Jim. Jeepers, you make me uh, you make me sound a lot better than what I am. Um, You're and a trust legend. me, after Artie. I don't. You can't get any higher than Artie, so I'm um, sorry in advance. Mate, you are a legend, and you do have a pretty awesome story, which I have followed from. I think you were year nine. I remember coaching a Nelson mm. College year nine side against you, and mate, you were just running a muck even back then. Yeah, mate, that was a few moons ago, wasn't it, um, bro? Those were the days, man. I love Nelson College. Like when I, whenever I think back to, like, I'm so, I'm still so like attached to it. And that's like, it's, it's such a good thing on one end of this, but then it's so annoying on the other. Like I get into arguments with everyone like, man, we would have smashed you at school. Like you should have seen my team. And I'm just like, man, I'm almost 30 playing international rugby and I'm arguing with people saying my schoolboy team would have ripped yours up. So um, now I'm very, very proud of where I come from, mate. And um, yeah, those were the days. Yeah. And look at you now, mate, playing against the All Blacks for Ireland. Oh, what a week that must've been. Talk me through that one. Yeah, um, mate, it was, it's easily the, you know, the pinnacle of my career so far. Um, I never in a million years would have thought I'd experience the week that it was, you know, like getting the opportunity to represent Ireland was amazing, but then to get on uh, in front of the packed of Eva Stadium against, you know, like 20 of my mates, like yeah. literally were standing across from me, like 20 dudes that I could tell you that like their parents' names, what school they went to, <laughs> like I, how many times I've played against them. And then all of a sudden where they were in my backyard doing the hucker in front of me, I was listening to my home team's, you know, national anthem yeah. um, and singing the Irish anthem. It was um, a bizarre week in so many ways and something that I would, I would never change. Crazy, mate. What was it like facing the hucker? Uh it was it was cool, man. Like you know, like I've got such a huge respect and admiration for all those boys to have achieved what they've achieved, and then to stand in front of the hucker such a uh, is such an amazing feeling and thought. And uh, Davey texted me before the game, and he was like, "Mate, don't laugh at me in the hucker here. Like, don't <laughs> like he's hiding in the back. He does what I used to do when I was with the Maori All Blacks. So I was in the back left, and no, it, it was it was surreal. And yeah, like I said, something I'll, I'll never forget." 
And you must have been pretty happy with your performance out there on the field as well, especially that one moment, the key tackle. I know you want to talk about this one. Go on. Um, a lot's changed. I don't actually like talking about myself too much. I used to, that was me when I was bloody 20 years old. I couldn't, couldn't shut up, but um, I've learned a lot along the way. But look, like that, I mean, it was a huge moment in the game, you know, and people over here were giving me stick. Like, why is he picked? The dude can't D, he can't tackle. Um, well, I can. It's just that I was introduced to a new system and I just it just took me a little longer to adapt and figure it out. And once I figured it out, it was fine. And, um, you know, we were we were in the shit, um, you know, off the back of the scrum. I think Pete Omani missed a tackle, a few offloads. All of a sudden, Davies threw a gaping hole and um, I had to come from bloody Timbuktu to try and make a read. And um, sometimes, sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. And, um, you know, I got it right that time. But then Davey also threw one over my head that Will chipped and chased and scored, you know, 10 minutes before that. It's um, the nature of the beast. And, mate, I was just happy to have an impact on 70 minutes. And mm. uh, we we're able to, I think we went two scores ahead because of that, maybe. So, yeah, like it was surreal Huge play yeah it was nice it was nice to you know people be talking about something i've not generally talked about for and people have like finally jeepers the dude's on it so it was, it was nice it was and what was it like going up against uh your good mate will jordan he's obviously given the rundown on how to defend you what was it like <laughs> going against mate, you? that little that little shit's talking man <laughs> hey he didn't talk to me after the game that's the first time i'd heard from him okay? really was you tagging me in the Mate, he wouldn't talk to me. I was just oh. like, mate, it's a game of rugby. Like, you'll get a chance. Everyone has a sunny day. And, like, we were on that day, you know. And, um, no, nah, I, man, I remember playing for Tassie and mm. we'd signed this, like, kid. And, you know, I was actually a little bit annoyed because I wanted to play fullback that year. Coming back from the Chiefs and they're like, look, we got this kid. And I played the first game. Uh, he was injured or he wasn't allowed. He's probably too young to be playing might have 10 at the time or something. Yeah. Um, so I played the first game against Canterbury at 15. And then the second game, I actually got, I was sick. I, and he was starting at 15. And I watched it. I was like, man, this dude's good. It was against Manawa too. I was like, holy shit. This okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stay in my lane and I'll jump, yeah, I'll jump back out on the wing. It's fine. Um, but no, man, he's a, he's he's phenomenal, you know. Like he's definitely a born and bred cantab. You can tell by the way he talks and his mannerisms, and uh, he's straight up and down, you know. But um, he's a great lad outside of rugby. Uh, we have a lot of laughs. We used to pick on him. I'm sure everyone still picks on him because he's, you know, he's a he's a man above his years in terms of his age, man. Like he's so mature. You forget that he's what 22 maybe 23 not even mm. like no he's he's got a big future he he definitely deserved to win that uh the breakthrough Break player of the year yeah he had yeah. a massive year eh? but you had a you've obviously got a great success rate against the all blacks already so mate what yeah. what's the secret to beating them you reckon well i might retire now and i can say i'm the only one <laughs> um no like you know, throughout the week when we were watching video and we were talking amongst ourselves, you know, from the start, we there was a there was confidence there in terms of our preparation and, you know, the things we were talking about, the spaces we were seeing. We knew that if we all turned up, we could definitely put in a performance that we like that we would be proud of. And I mean, teams have done that so many times where they've gone out and they've fired on all cylinders and they get 60 minutes and then all of a sudden they you know they'll, they'll score a couple of tries and it's yeah. like jeepers what do we how do we do this like it happens you know 90 percent of the time so we'd prep very very well 
Um, our, our forwards were getting off the line and hitting people. Uh, we were winning collisions. There was uh, a sense of urgency and intensity in the contact. You know, we, like, we didn't try and buy into Guzzler and Colsey and all this rubbing <laughs> heads and, you know, elbows on the rock. We were trying to stay away from that because, I mean, that's all part part and parcel with playing, you know, the, the best team in the world. Like, they they can do that because they deliver. And we knew that we just had to do stick to our game plan, stick to what we knew. And we like when 80 minutes is up, if they've still beaten us and fair play, but you know, we got it done on the day and that was our sunny day. So no, it was, it was a good, good week at the office. Did Retallick or any of the boys get hold of you? No, fortunately not. (laughs) Um, No, Sammy was bloody squirting water on the sideline at me. Like I was was walking up and down. He's got, (laughs) He was like, jeepers, mate, you've been eating burgers and all this sort of stuff. I was like, geez, mate, amazing to see you back. Like, you've come back from a bloody, another neck problem. And it's awesome to see you. And he's just given out to me. So, um, no, there wasn't too much. There's, there's a lot of mutual respect. I feel like some of my best mates are on, you know, play for the ABs and have been for a long time. And I knew if I was caught to the bottom of Iraq and Guzzler was on top of me, I wasn't coming out without blood. So, um, mate, you accept it for what it is and you, you carry on. Yeah, and and you mentioned about the last twenty minutes of the All Blacks always being so strong. Did you guys have an emphasis on that last twenty minutes in your preparation? We didn't talk about it as much. It's just like it always bloody happens, you know. Like they'll have sixty minutes of pound, like literally just going through phases and wearing teams out, and then in the last twenty minutes, their fitness shows and uh, you know whether it's a couple of lucky breaks or you give the ball to a Rico. Or, Will Jordan or Severis or Geordie Barrett or Bowden Barrett, like, you know, and they just do their thing. But uh, we knew if we stayed in it and were physical for 80 minutes with an intensity with the crowd, we could give it a good shot. And we did, you know, like uh, we won that day. But like I said, we got three tests against the ABs coming up next year. And I know how difficult it's going to be those three tests. So we're not getting ahead of ourselves. Like, if we can, you know, if we can put in performances, three awesome performances, like we'll, we'll be very happy with that because we know how difficult New Zealand are to beat. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be an awesome series. Everyone will be looking forward to that one now, especially after they got well and truly beaten over there by you guys. And your family will be looking forward to seeing you as well, I bet. Yeah, mate. Two, it'll be two years without seeing my my, my family, man. And, um, I'm a homeboy, man. Like I miss Nelson bloody so much man like and it's you know i know nothing's going to change i know you know the same people are still going to be there like but i miss it man like i miss it so so much and it's just a shame that like i you know what you sign up for when you when you go and play overseas you you understand that yeah but the fact that it's been taken away that i can't go home that Mm. we can't go home like that's the thing that really sucks but you know everyone's happy and healthy at home at the moment so um, no, nah, we're grand. I look forward to getting home for a bit, yeah. And what about over there? Is everyone healthy over there? You guys, how's your COVID situation? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a, she's a bit of a shit show at the moment. Um, you know, it's running rampant. Uh, so many people are catching COVID. Like, we were, like, our bubble was pretty tight, you know, and boys were abiding by government guidelines, but they weren't pinting up every weekend and going into pubs and clubs, you know, and mix and mingling as much with their friends but uh 
at the moment there's a few cases in at Leinster and man like it's literally like day by day we've only been in once this week we've got a big European Cup fixture um, coming up on Friday away in France and like we don't at the moment the game's on but even they've got COVID in their camp man it, it's crazy but uh, you get on with it and if we can send 23 boys over there they're going to do their best to come back with um, with some points hopefully yeah. True, that's crazy. It's it's mental. Like like even the boys who have it, like none of like all of them are fine. You know, like yeah, a uh, little bit phlegmy and snotty nose, a uh, little bit of a sore throat, but no one's had anything bar that. So mm. yeah, it sucks, but you know it is what it is. So what's the protocol for those guys? Are they out for two weeks? Uh, Don't know. So they'll be so the day that they you know test positive. Uh, that'll be their first day. So it's 10 days from there. Oh, but yeah. I think it's like on the last three days, you have to have negative PCR tests before oh, yeah. you can, you know, leave your quarantine. But then even on top of that, like you can't then throw someone into a professional match as well. You know, straight after that, you have to, you know, you, you want to do a week of training pretty much before you even consider going going toe to toe with someone trying to take your head off. So mm-hmm. um, mate, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a funny old Christmas. But I'm happy and healthy at the moment and that's all I can ask for. Mate, so you'll be on you'll be on the plane over there for sure. <laughs> captain. <laughs> uh no, I will not be captain. Uh, although I did throw that out. I've got a good relationship with the coaching staff on my lads. I can play 10, I can be captain, I can kick. Um, but no, fortunately there's still a few uh few old heads around and our tens aren't haven't fallen over but i'll be on the plane at this stage for sure one thing new zealand listeners will be struggling to comprehend is that you guys are still playing over this christmas period over there it's always a pretty full-on time of the year for code mate hey like you've been over here like sports and christmas just shouldn't mix like it shouldn't like like christmas is a time for your family christmas is a time for you know, friends and, you know, being with loved ones, man, like I was actually explaining this literally all I can do right now is go for like walks with my dog and I bumped into my neighbor uh, on the way. And I was like, look, like we're genuinely the zoo. Like we're the animals in the zoo. We are literally the entertainment for every other person who gets the week or two weeks off. Like it's, it's stupid, man. Like I, it really, really annoys me that you do play over Christmas. And also, they're the biggest games. So yeah. like we're playing against Munster away down in Thomond. One of the last times I was there, I got red carded for taking someone out in the air. Like they hate Leinster and they hate me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're playing them on, uh, on the 26th. So, oh man, like it's just a bloodbath. And, but we play New Year's day as well. Like mm. how stupid is this? Like, but Hey, I don't, I don't make the rules. I'll just <laughs> I'll just turn up when I'm told to. And Leinster are looking as strong as ever, mate. They're they're such a powerhouse of um, European rugby over there. Like, what is it about them that make them so good? Just so consistent. Yeah, they yeah. Like, it's a funny it's funny over here. Like like rugby isn't the main sport in Ireland. Like yeah. they've got um, the GAA, so the Gar and hurling, and that there is stereotypically played by like all the everyone outside of 
pretty much South Dublin. <laughs> like South Dublin is a very niche rugby-esque sort of place. Like yeah. a lot of private schools where the boys play rugby and Dublin is like almost like the epicenter of a lot of the very, very good rugby players that come out of Ireland. And that's, I mean, that's a very, very big generalization. There's amazing players that come from all, all the other counties, don't get me wrong, but a lot of those other counties have to tussle with, you know, boys going to hurling and, and mm. soccer. But here, it's a lot of the boys end up pursuing rugby. So almost 10 of the current Irish internationals that went to one school and those boys also would be five years apart. You know, mm. like a lot of them played together in school. So fortunately with Leinster, those boys don't want to leave. They don't have to leave. Their families are here. Their grandparents played for Leinster. Their parents supported Leinster. Their season ticket holders So automatically you have a culture of people who are so, so passionate about Leinster rugby. Mm. And that there's obviously like throughout the years become such a strong thing that Leinster use. And then you've got old heads who have been around for years who like, that's the hardest thing to create in a club is a sense of like purpose or identity or a want to represent like the province because of how proud you are of the province. And like, I, man, like that's how literally I felt with Tassie. Yeah. Like I absolutely love Tassie and I would, Man, if anyone ever like Jamo talking about the Naki, it's like you going to the Naki. I'm still pissed <laughs> off about that. Um, you know, like stuff like like I'm still bitter about that. You know, but that's how the boys feel about Leinster over here. So yeah. you've got the the hardest piece of the jigsaw already there and embedded in so many of the boys. Um, that on top of that, you then get boys who want to work hard. You've got boys who want to perform, who are striving to perform. And then, yeah, on top of that, you get obviously sponsorship. So then, like, it's just a it's just a conveyor belt at the moment of so many good things happening at one time. And I genuinely don't see Leinster fading at all the next ten years. I just mm-hmm. I just can't yeah because I've seen it's run like an army. Like yeah. it genuinely is. You see kids like catch pass catch pass like five six seven year olds and then like kids are being moved schools to try and get bet because they know their parents know they'll have a better opportunity at rugby it's just like jeepers man it's a it's a different world but Mm. um you know we're benefactors unfortunately i landed on my feet here like i had no idea about this you know goody told me about yeah it's an amazing place to go pinting (laughs) you know like you gotta love the nightlife um and yeah like now I'm so so lucky to have ended up in Dublin. Like I can't, I can't begin to express how fortunate I am, man. Like it's it's been an amazing journey. Oh, that's so cool, so cool to hear. And I'd love to see some crossover mm. games between teams like Leinster and the Crusaders, etc. It'd be so cool yeah. to see how these teams compare against each other, eh? Yeah, like it's the uh, man like that's I think they're doing that world uh that club world cup or something or something's ha- like they they're trying to oh, yeah. um they're trying to put it in a in a schedule man and that would be awesome like if like if we had the chance of playing against crusaders it'd be so it's so funny because we watch we watch so much of the crusaders like in our like team meetings our head coach man he's so obsessed with rugby in a good way and that's what yeah. you need from a head coach for yeah. sure and like we'll be watching Richie Mwanga or like Mitch Drummond, like throwing like, 
literally 15 meter flat passes from the base of a scrum to rich you know and then davey coming short and lester out the back and it's just like jeepers this is what we should do you know um and then like would watch it it's like okay how would we do this then if they're gonna if they have this platform and they've got a nine you can throw that and i've got a freak at 10 who can goose step out of tackles you know like yeah. it's um it's an amazing thing to to think about but if it happens i'd I'd love that to happen, yeah. Mm. And what's it been like having the South Africans in the comp over there now? Well, it's it hasn't been like we haven't played too many because of Corona, man. Like mm. we've we played against two of the South African teams at the start of this season, but we didn't play against them last season. Um, and then the year before, we played against the Cheetahs and the Kings, and like that probably they're not the two powerhouses, you know. Mm. Um, so we haven't had to play against them too much, but man, they're all big bastards. Eh? They are just <laughs> like, they're so big. Um, so it's a, it's actually a good challenge because it, it is something different, man, because they've got some serious athletes out wide and then you've got these big heifers just running <laughs> running lines from hell. And you just, uh, it, it's fun, man, but we haven't, we haven't had the opportunity to play them too much. Oh, it's all it's all ahead of you. Anyway, mate, before we get too far into it, I know you do have an unreal story as a young fella, so I'm um, looking forward to hearing this. But give us a rundown on your upbringing. You've given us a little bit around your times at Nelson, how much you loved it, but fill us in with what you were like as a kid. Yeah, so I grew up in Stoke. Um, so it's a little suburb in, in Nelson. I was a very full-on kid. Um, I was into everything. I played every sport under the sun. I I didn't think before I spoke and it got me in a lot of trouble. Um, but man, I just love sport and that was that was a serious like outlet for me. Um, I went to Broad Green and one of my teachers thought I had ADHD because I had just way too much energy. Like it's <laughs> like that was just literally me in a nutshell. Um, you know, but I loved sport. I was mad into cricket and basketball, uh, athletics, touch, uh, everything. Like to me, uh, hindsight, I probably shouldn't have played too much because I I got stuck into it because I knew it would get me out of school. Like, I'd do the bare minimum knowing. Like, I, I always knew that I, I was going to pass school. Like, that there was... But I just never applied myself. And, man, if I could go back, like, I definitely would have... Man, I would change. Since I would have turned up for class a lot more and I would have listened <laughs> a lot more. Um, but, yeah, it was... That was literally me in a nutshell, man. I just talked too much and I was always up and into everything. But yeah, I was never a troubled kid. Or mm. I had a very, very normal background, you know, like, you know, just a working class family, just very normal, normal upbringing. So yeah, it's, that was pretty much me, man. And you did all these sports, but you were very good at all these sports too, weren't you? You you're a bit of a freak. Um, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like I I just loved sport man like it was it was a way I could be competitive and unfortunately that probably got the better of me uh, a lot of the time where I'd get so frustrated at myself or you know I actually used to cry a lot as a kid mm. like especially when I lost like I used to be that kid yeah. like I used to literally be that kid because I was so competitive and it took me a, it took me a long time you know, until I was in my teens to really figure it out when to really turn it on and be competitive and when not to, mm. because I knew that it was affecting like relationships with people because everyone's like, man, I don't want to be around this kid. This kid's way too intense, like all the time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just love sport and everything. Like I said, man, volleyball, basketball, cricket, 
I remember Stephen Adams pretty much dunked on me once, man, called me too small. Uh, I remember bowling against like Tom Latham, um, man, doing athletics. Tom Walsh was my oh, age yeah. in athletics. So, man, he was like dominating me in shop, but <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. Like I have all, <laughs> you know, it's 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 funny the people are like, they won't remember me, but now I remember like, I was like, jeepers, man. Like I played against all these freak high achieving New Zealand athletes. But yeah, man, like I, Loved sport. I absolutely adored it. Yeah. And then obviously the big setback in your childhood growing up was when you were diagnosed with juvenile arthritis, was it? About 14 years yeah, old? Yeah. Yeah. Would have been about 13, 14. Mm. So um I was actually <laughs> I was playing cricket at the time. Um I just made the uh, the first eleven. So I would have been the end of my third form year. Holy heck. And <laughs> Yeah, like I was, I was always bigger than everyone, so it was always <laughs> it always that always helps when you're uh, playing sport as a, at a young age. But bro, I was literally just I was down at the nets and I was bowling, and I kept getting these rashes, and I didn't understand what it was at the time. My parents were telling me just shower more, you stink, like all that sort of thing. And I, was, I don't know, like it was just a snowball effect. And then over the summer, it just developed like I was just so fatigued all the time, like which was very uncharacteristic uh for me uh especially over the summer man i'd always be stuck in going to different playing different sports and all that and i just like i literally could barely get out of bed you know did heaps of was at the hospital doing heaps of tests people didn't really know what was going on and six seven months later like all this just literally ticking on in the background like i was still going to school but i could barely like i couldn't play sport at the time and then i was finally diagnosed with uh juvenile rheumatoid arthritis so um it was literally my body was kind of attacking itself like it was just like an over my i was just overworked pretty much and that was my own fault not that i knew at the time and then yeah. um so i was in hospital for two or three days while they did tests and gave me different um they gave me like different pretty much antibiotics and trying to see what would work because it's a very arthritis is a very broad um disease in a lot of ways where um like my arthritis is, was a very very unique where every day I'd wake up and something else would be sore. So the main things that were sore for me were my fingers, my wrists, my knees, and a little bit of my hips. Mm. Um, so some days like my knee would be swollen and like I hadn't walked the day before and this thing would be swollen. And then I'd wake up the next day, my knee would be fine and I couldn't, you know, pick up a knife and fork. Like it was just such a weird, like bizarre yeah. disease. And um, they finally found like the right medication. Like I was doing blood tests and they were trying to figure out all these different levels and all that. And um, they finally got me onto a medication, um, which was fortunately subsidized by the government at the time. Um, so we were paying like a tenner a week when if it wasn't subsidized, it was going to be two and a half grand a week. So fortunately, thank you to the um, New Zealand health system for that um and yeah that was literally my miracle pill but this year went on for a year a year and a half and the weird thing about it as well is that it would come and go for like three months so i'd have three months where it'd be absolutely fine like you wouldn't be able to tell a thing like i'd be back to normal and then i'd have three months on the sideline where like you know i had parents and friends and everyone was like mate what's wrong with you i'm like dude i just don't have the energy i don't really want to be here, you know? And yeah. it was very, um, it really sucked for my, like for my parents, because there wasn't that much information about it. And like, there still probably isn't. Like, I'm just fortunate enough to have lived through it and got out the other side. And now when people with kids ask me, I'm like, honestly, it's a roller coaster of stuff. You just have to find what works for you. Unfortunately, we found the medication 
The problem with the medication though was it was a like a suppressant. So it stopped. So my body was pretty much attacking itself. So I took these, you know, it was actually an injection where I had to, I had like, it came in like a packet and there was a powder in one vial, liquid in another, and then the top of a needle, a syringe. And I used to have to like make the syringe, like <laughs> suck the water out of the vial, put it into the other like shake up the vial, then like extract it back out and then inject myself. Okay. Um, but yeah, the problem with that was it stopped my immune system from working. So I'd get sick very easy then. Mm. <laughs> like, and then I was taking more pills on top of that to then help. Man, it was just like a spiraling effect. But, you know, I only felt that up until like maybe I was 16. And then I'll, I'd say I was pretty much perfect, man. Like I, I had no problems after that. I would have days where I would be a little bit sore, you know, like kind of like after a game, you got the bangs and bruises and that. Mm. I It kind of felt like that, but it would be on like a Tuesday or something, yeah. like, you know, it'd be like a random day of the week. But, um, you know, like I've, I came out of that and I'm grand now, man. Like I don't have to take any medication, but I was just very, very lucky. Nelson actually had the right people there, the right doctors there. Because some people, like, say if I lived in Christchurch, the, there's not a specific doctor there who could treat or knew, you know, what was wrong with me. So they might might have had to have travelled or um, I was just very lucky to have, you know, the right person 20 minutes up the road. So, um, man, I'm very, very grateful to have come out the other end of that. Yeah. Mate, that's crazy. So it was about a three-year period where you're just bedridden for sort of three months on and just sort of waking yeah. up in the morning not knowing whether you're going to be sweet or whether you're going to be sore yeah pretty much my uh my sister actually this was would have been on a flip phone she's actually got a video of me and i'm literally skin and bones and i'm using a walker oh, wow. to get to like go to the toilet and she's cracking up laughing in the background <laughs> like this pixelated video on it on a, you know like a nokia flip top or something uh, she still has that video, but um, I might let that surface one day. But man, it's it's a bleak looking, skinny little moldy boy from Stoke, man. Like it wasn't pretty. And I think I saw a photo of you with, um, might have been some of the Hurricane boys. Did you fly up to the Hurricanes one time and get some photos yeah, with them? Because you were skinny as them too. Yeah, I was, man. Like I was, I was so skinny. But that was, so I would have been 18. Um there was a few things going on then. So uh, I just played schools, like New Zealand schoolboys. Mm. The Arthritis New Zealand was based in Wellington. So I actually got flown up by them to go and talk to them and, you know, say thank you pretty much for them. Like it was kind of like a twofold thing. It was awesome for them to have a kid who had gone through it. So it was a bit of them. And then it was, um, I was also talking, like there'd been a little bit of chat about going to Wellington, like, I'm talking like minuscule stuff at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a photo of myself, Victor Vito, uh, Namia Tialata, because he had a form of arthritis. So that there oh, was hey. a, also a little connection there. And I, uh, Thrushy, was it Jeremy Thrush? Maybe that, that's why you yeah. probably look skinny. You're up against three massive humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very, very big boys. Um, I actually remember seeing Lima there as well. Yeah, little fresh-faced Lima at training. Hey. It was at their captain's run, man. Yeah. Um, and he was still giving me shit for running rings around me on the uh, on Nelson College front field, man, <laughs> playing against uh, Wellington College the year before. So uh, that's a long time ago now, man. That would have been jeepers 11, 12 years ago. 
Yeah. But once you did come right, you, you found your form again pretty quickly on the rugby field anyway, and you started dominating the New Zealand schoolboy scene. Talk me through your years there. Um, yeah, that was cool, man. Like, those were the days, man. Like, that was a lot of fun, that tournament. We played against Tonga and Australia for the New Zealand schoolboys. Uh, we played up in St. Peter's in Cambridge, and then we were down in Otago Boys in Dunedin. And, like, TJ was the captain. Uh, big offer was in the front row. Not too many other big, big names. Marty McKenzie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like, you had all these, you know, like, a lot of freaks running around. Um, that was a lot of fun, man. And a, a huge learning curve. But, yeah, it was kind of after that. Man, I was still probably too smart in my own head. I thought too much of myself probably a bit back then. Um, and I got a bit of a realisation when I, when I actually got to Tassie. Um, that man, I'm not as good as what I thought I was anyway. Because when you get up against the big boys who have been doing it for years, they um, they're the ones who really put me in my place. I think. Yeah, how did you find that? How did you find your first year with Tazzy? You, I'm right in saying KK was your coach, and you and him had a few few good times together. <laughs> I love KK, man. Like KK is yeah. my boy, and I defend him to the cows come home. But um, man, like I, man, you know, like I was fresh out of school. Like I was New Zealand schools. I I thought I was the man. Like I was still a Nelson. Like I knew everyone. I was going out on the piss every weekend. You know, like as you do as an eighteen year old. But yeah. I just thought I was the man at the time. Man, we uh, my second game was actually a shield shield challenge uh, against you boys, where Bodie came back and you, you were on the bench. I think that day Bodie came back and you got a good memory, thirty odd points or something. Yeah, oh yeah, thirty odd points, and it was man. Oh, this is it was the end of the first half, and I Hayden Cripps gave me a ball off his hip, and I I went through a gap. And then I tried to throw like a 10 meter, like skip ball. Like where was, if it had gone to hand, uh, Peter Beetham would have scored, but um, it like drifted forward or something and went into half time. We're only down by like seven or 10. And we, you know, like Bodie was running an absolute clinic and we sit down, we're all pretty, um, like we're all pretty pumped. Like, yeah, we're definitely in this. And then KK comes storming in and he's like, who the fuck threw that? And I was just through that. I was just like, yeah, that was me. And I like put my hand up and goes, do you think you're going to win the game for us today? What the? And just like went through me for like a good 10 seconds. And then like the place went quiet. And he's like, okay, split. And then like backs and forwards went the other way. And I'm like shell shocked. I'm like a possum in the headlights. Like abs- Like I've never experienced being yelled at before. And I like, I was like, Jesus, I, I made the break. I, you know, I threw a bad pass. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm trying my best. Um, and then afterwards, like Joey came up to me, he's like, mate, don't fucking worry about that old bastard. And like Campbell Johnson, even like I'd barely spoken to him. He was like a he was like an absolute legend. All the boys loved him. And I didn't even think he knew who I was. He was like, mate, that's bullshit. Don't worry about that. Like I had from that experience, you yeah. know, like that was my first experience of professional <laughs> rugby. And I'm just like, oh my God, is this what it's like? Um, but man, like it took me. Uh, like <laughs> I, I could go on about KK for so long, but like I think the biggest learning at that, and it took me years to make man. Like it would have taken me like four years, I reckon, to really figure it out. Um, to figure not just rugby out, but like 
in terms of being a person, like a good analogy was like, I didn't like playing in the sandpit with other people. Mm. And that there was probably me wanting, I wanted to always be in like the limelight. I wanted the names in the paper. I wanted like, I wanted to be front page. I wanted to score the trial. I wanted the, like that's kind of how it was. And it wasn't until I figured that out. And it took me two years, super, well, a year of super rugby to really figure it out. I'm like, man, the team's going to be better if I'm better for the team. So I had to like, really grow as a person and, and as a player and become, you, you know, be a lot more open to other people around me to, um, to really learn as a person and be a better rugby player. Um, I think my relationships with people in the team really started to uh, become a lot stronger and I was a lot more accepted. You know, I was a little bit more vulnerable. Like I'd, I'd actually talk to DG, uh, David Galbraith, a lot about it. And he's like, mate, why is your like play so inconsistent. I was like, I don't know, man. I think I put enough, like too much pressure on myself. Um, you know, I thought I was, you know, two, three years of playing professional footy. I thought it was going to be an all black, like all this, all this sort of stuff, you know. And, you know, we stripped it back and realized I was a bit of a douchebag and thought too highly of myself. And I was reading, the, like I deleted all the, you know, like news apps and all that sort of stuff. Like I just didn't, once I stopped focusing on specifically on me, I found, you know, as a person, as a player, I got so much better. But yeah, it took me probably a bit too long to figure that out, man. Like I wish I'd known that a bit earlier. Hey, that's powerful stuff. Love that. But mm. one, one thing I did want to talk to you about when you were younger, you missed out on the New Zealand 20s and you were probably the star of the trials from all accounts. I've spoken to a lot of guys who trolled in that, um, for that side. <laughs> I think I read an article that Jeff Wilson was the wing selector and he even had you as the top winger, but you still missed out on that side. So is there any more to that? I don't know, man. Like I, yeah, like that's such an interesting one. I probably, in terms of my, my attitude, that was probably something that actually still stuck out. It was probably still very immature at that age, but I still like, man, like I'm still baffled that I didn't make that team, man. Like even... Like that, that, that's actually something that really kind of frustrates me still. <laughs> um, if I, yeah, to be honest, like, cause I, I felt at the time, you know, I was playing 15, 13 wing. Like I was literally like, wherever you kind of needed me, like I'll just, I, that's where I'd go, like, yeah. you know? And yeah, like I missed out on that. And like, even I remember sitting down with Jeff, like Jeff Wilson, like you said, and like, He's just like, mate, like I had you on my team. I don't know like what went wrong or whatever. And, um, you know, like everyone has their reasons, but that was just such a frustrating time for me and probably the start of a journey of why has this happened? Because maybe I was probably still a little bit immature and they decided to go down a different route. It's no one's fault apart from myself. Like um, probably didn't put my best foot forward. And, you know, that's how I see it now. It's it's funny. I was actually listening to Artie's, uh, yours and Artie's podcast just before. And um, we were actually... It would have been that year because I think he's a year or two younger than me. So that was his first year in the sevens. But we actually both got picked to like after the Queenstown sevens. He won't remember this, but like I, it was just like literally me and him. And then like I actually chose to go with 20s because 20 was like, no, we want you to stay with us. So it was like a fucking shambles. um, But yeah, it's a, it's, See, it's all these weird things I remember when I uh, when I think back, man. So, how did you handle that setback from missing out on that side? Did you handle it well, or? Yeah, probably. I actually remember, like, I had a few sit downs with people, you know, coaches and stuff, and 
Drummy was actually, Shane was actually doing a bit of my contracts at the time just because I had no bloody idea and he was advising me on a few different things. He actually helped me a lot along the way. He's a very good person and he always had my best interests. And um, I remember sitting down with him once and he's like, look, like, are you doing everything in your power to make sure that you give this the best opportunity that you can? And that's pretty much like a, you know, you probably put it a different way, but that was pretty much the, the gist of the conversation we had. And I was like, man, I don't think I am. Um, I started training a lot with Jason Hilkemer at the time. What I really needed to do to start pushing myself and getting the best best out of everything. And then that year playing for Tasman, uh, you know, after the disappointment of, you know, missing out on 20s to then, I played it like really well that season, you know, and when super rugby teams came falling, I all five super rugby teams were kind of like toing and throwing. Um, a funny thing about that Jules hadn't signed at the time. And it was when Jules was literally at the peak of his powers. Yeah. So he was at the hurricanes and he was like, he was kind of holding off on not signing and all this thing. And me being a left winger, like there's only a few spots, you know, every super rugby team's looking for every year. Yeah. So everyone was trying to sign Jules, but then when Jules said that he was staying at the Hurricanes, all f- like the four other provinces were pretty much ringing asking if I'd go down for a viewing. So, man, like those bloody Savir boys, if <laughs> they're uh, running the cutter at the moment. Yeah. How did you come to the decision to go to the Chiefs? Um, so I, I sat down and I talked with um, Rang at the time you know he was Tassie coach he was a backs coach uh we got a funny relationship as well he probably thought I was very immature that's probably why (laughs) um and I was like look like these teams here I know that you've probably got a biased opinion um but what do you think and he was like look if I was if I had the choice um I think the Chiefs right now are the best are the best club um and they were they'd just gone back to back Dave Rennie was at the peak of his powers he'd uh, Wayne Smith, uh, Andrew Strawbridge, uh, Tom Coventry, like they were a powerhouse. Um, I talked to, I actually talked to Tojo a mm. bit because he was, me and him went up there the same year. Um, and I was talking, I actually asked, man, and like this was in like, boys didn't like me back then, man. Like I can, I can say it back then. Like, like I was, I, I wasn't a good person back then. Like, and I can, I was immature, man. I was very, very immature as a 20 year old. And I was like, dude, like, what would you do if you were me? And he's like, look, like I've been at the Crusaders. Um, and yeah, it's awesome. Uh, they've got a good culture. They win. They weren't winning at the time, but they were, and it was just like, but look, like even I'm going, like I'm heading up to the chiefs. Um, that wasn't a selling point, but he's like, look, if I were you, I would probably head to the chiefs as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, when I went up and, uh, Wayne Smith picked me up and, um, he was actually the only coach because I went to all four provinces. Oh, I didn't go down to the Landers. I went to the Blues, Crusaders, and the Chiefs. Like that's the three teams that I sort of narrowed it down to. And Wayne Smith was the only one who said I was shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> like not not as blunt as that, but he was the only one who was just like, <laughs> look, like we you've got a lot to work on. Like everyone else was telling me I was going to be an All Black if I went to there. And he's he, uh, he's literally the All Blacks, one of the All Black selectors, and he was like, "Mate, <laughs> you are a long way off." So that was that was refreshing, and that was probably what I needed, man. And it took me a good year in that Chiefs environment to really grow um, and really mature. And then after that, man, the world was my oyster. I'd, I'd done my best. I'd thrown as many punches as I could, and you know, I was 
up against pretty stiff competition from the other provinces. Like Rico Ioane was just coming on the scene. Jules was at the height of his powers for sucking a holo. Like there were so many great wingers and like, I've got no beef with anyone, man. Mm. Like, but like, that was just who I was up against. Like every single time I'd make a 45 man squad, but I'd never make the 33. Like, and that was just it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was it. Mate, crazy. And but you made the Maldives a few times. What was what was those experiences yeah. like? It was, it was awesome, man. It was an eye opener, um, to say the least, because like, you know, being from Nelson, um, you know, like my mum's like Maldi, she's pretty hearty through and through, but like I wasn't exposed to the culture the cultural side of it as yeah. much. Um, her family's from Tauranga and Matsapihi, um, and the Bay of Islands, but my dad's like, man, he's from a farm like in Motueka, like he's, like he's like a little bumpkin, man. Um, but like, that was my first real exposure to the culture. And I got in, I think we just, oh, we just lost the bloody, the Mackie as always back then, um, the Prem final. Oh, and I was right. hung over the bit, but you'd have to um, recite your pepeha. So literally like your, your mountain, your river, your parents, where they come from, who you, you know, like who you represent. And I was hung over the bits, man. And like, it was my first time I had to like rush it out and I was so nervous, but it was an amazing cultural experience. Um, there was, there's just something about a team where, you know, when you're all, you know, have the same bloodline, when you're all, you know, representing uh, more than just like New Zealand, you're literally representing, you know, Māori and, uh it, it was awesome man it was it was very empowering uh, in a lot of ways and i left that tour playing good rugby and really intrigued into the maori culture and i mean to my ignorance i haven't delved it very much deeper but it's something that you know like it's awesome to be able to represent your culture man like it's something there's something special about that and that's definitely like having my maori all black jersey hanging up that's one of my that's one of my prime positions and you sort of spoke about missing out on the all blacks there's probably two or three years there where you you were right on the frame. You could have been selected, mm. but you weren't. So then when did the decision come to chase the Leinster dream and Irish dream? Yeah, look, like like I've been playing like good rugby. Like I, I was always in the conversations. I was always getting phone calls by uh, Fozzie and Cher, Darren Shand, manager, like all that, like all the time uh wayne smith was always talking about his uh, you're there or thereabouts and i'd never get the phone call saying i've made it you know and it was very very frustrating i'd always um i'd always look for feedback and stuff and you know i was pretty much told look we're going here here and this is why you know you're a winger uh we know you're you know you're all you're a bit of an all-rounder you can kick you can pass and everything but we need our wingers to be able to finish and like man like you look at wasaki you look at Rico, you look at Jules, like I would have picked them as well over me. Like you didn't need, like they didn't need me. They needed, you know, the big bus running over people. They needed Rico to run around people. They needed Wasaki, you know, stepping, fending, gritting his teeth and whacking people. That's what they needed. Um, and I felt like if I'd stayed in New Zealand, I definitely would have become an all black. That's how I, that's how I feel. And, um, I, whether that was one cap or 10 caps, you know, I wouldn't have been a 50 test all black. I wouldn't have been, you know, I would never have reached that. So once my, you know, I had, I was in negotiations and I was getting a little bit shafted 
they didn't think that I was going to leave. They knew that there was always the lure of the black jersey. And then I was like, look, like I'm starting to get offers from overseas. And they were trying to almost a little bit call my bluff. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 I'm getting this. Like, this is happening. Like, I'm actually engaging in talks now. I'm on phone calls. Um, these people are selling me the world. And then, like, even my manager, he he went to, like, NZRU and was like, look, like, this is obviously my player. We're, we're, gen- we're seriously thinking about leaving. And they, they rung him, but, like, it wasn't any of the coaches, which was a bit annoying. Like, and they didn't call me. And that was a little bit frustrating. Like I, like I can tell you right now, if Wayne Smith and, and no, and don't get me wrong, actually, like it wasn't Wayne's fault. Wayne had no idea that this was happening, mm. and that actually, I'll, I'll tell that very shortly. But like none of the coaches rung me and said we want you to stay. And if that had happened, I wouldn't have left New Zealand. A hundred percent. There was no way. Wow. Like mate, like imagine like how powerful that was, and then. Um, I think it was like a manager or something called my agent and was like, look, they wanted him to stay. And I was just like, every single one of your coaches have his number. That's what you needed to do. And so I engaged um, with Leinster, who at the time, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I actually think they were trying to sign Israel Dag. Oh, yeah. I think that there was the original plan, but he had problems with his knee. And he ended up going to Japan. And I think he actually never got his knee right. And that's why Leinster pulled out. Don't quote me on that. I, I heard that from a different place. It might be true, might not be. But um, And then, you know, the stars are aligned. And they um, they threw a contract out there. I talked to my parents and I'd signed. But um, when I had announced it to the Chiefs, because Wayne Smith was part of the All Blacks coaching staff at the time. So he wasn't actually supposed to be in and out of the Chiefs, but he loves rugby too much. And I was sitting down with him that day and I told Renz, I was like, look, I'm going to tell the team at, uh, in a team meeting that I'm that I'm leaving next year. And it was very emotional as well. And Smithy was there. And I, he's just like, mate, how are you going? Like all of this, he's very, very excited. And um, I'm like, oh man, like I've just signed to go overseas. And he's like, what? And he's just like, wait, what? What, 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 what do you mean? Like all the stuff and I'm just like, how didn't you know this? Like, and that was a very frustrating thing for me. And then I, I told the team and a lot of the boys had heard whispers and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but that was a very emotional time because, you know, like my Everest then had changed from wanting to become an all black to uh, wanting to be financially stable pretty much and be able to provide for my family. And, mm. uh, you know, with the potential to create generational wealth, which is something that, you know, I never would have been out thought I could have been able to achieve playing rugby. And, um, you know, if I'm not an idiot, I can provide that. And then, you know, my kids' kids will be able to do whatever they want. And that's now on my Everest, you know. Mm. Was it part of it ever to play for Ireland? Was that ever the goal? Or was it more about the financial side of things? Um, at the start, I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Like, I always wanted to play international rugby. And, you know, that opportunity is there. I don't even, I had no idea about Leinster in, in terms of them being a club or a powerhouse of Europe. I knew they were good. Mm. I didn't know they they were that good. Yeah. Um, you know, and then um, I got there in the first year and it was a massive learning curve. And I was just like, jeepers, man, this is actually a lot of fun. I'm really, really enjoying this. And there's an opportunity of playing international rugby at the end of it. And, you know, I might... I might bloody try that. So, um, yeah, it took me, or even like, (laughs) 
like going on a little bit, sorry, a little bit further, like even like my, when I was announced in the Irish squad and stuff, I was looking, it was an immense sense of pride and everything, but like it still took me a year to really figure it out. Like in terms of like, it was another like level up where I needed to then be, you know, a level better at everything I was doing. Like when I made my debut and stuff, like I was good and I was always good. I was still a bit inconsistent, but I knew they need, like they, they needed a left foot. They didn't have a left foot. So they always kind of needed me. And it wasn't until I played really shit against Scotland away and the Six Nations that I got dropped. And then I was like, fuck, now I really need to knuckle down and figure this shit out. Um, so it was just another learning curve for mm. me. And um, man, it's been a crazy journey, like talking about it and thinking back to it now. But man, it's something I, I definitely wouldn't change for the world. Yeah. And what was it like going from super rugby into the European style of rugby with Leinster? Was there a massive adjustment there for you? Yeah, um, I was always told that Leinster played more of an expansive brand of rugby. Mm. Um, so that there was always kind of enticing, I guess. But like it was, um, it's <laughs> the main thing is the weather. Mm. <laughs> and then because the weather over here for eight months of the year is shocking. Like uh, I'm talking, yeah, and, and I know you understand that. So the pitches, the pitches aren't as good. You go to some places where you, it looks like a prison. You've got like intimidating small crowds on top of you throwing beer at you and cursing and why have you got a top knot like <laughs> yeah you're doing your hair again number 11 it's just like all oh, this very very different stuff so like with that comes a different mindset in terms of how to play rugby and accumulate points through pressure through kicking through kick chase yeah. and all that sort of carry on um but yeah they, they always like I've always had a license to be able to like express myself with ball in hand and they've never took that away from me because it's a skill set, you know, like the the step, the fin, the offload, uh, working with nines and tens, um, quick passes, the whole basketball pass over the top, playing and behind people. They never wanted to take that away from me, which I was really grateful for because some teams here stick so much to a system and think the system will break teams. When... Yeah, it's there's not as many freak athletes. There's not as many of you know big Fijians running around and stuff like that. So they have to. They have to with what they've got. They've got to play that way. But um, man, we've got a good. We play good rugby in Leinster, and I think Ireland, especially against New Zealand, showed that we can play. You know, pretty tight shapes and break teams down with uh, short passes, playing in behind offloads. So um, we're definitely. There's not too much of a change from Super Rugby, I don't think, no. Yeah, so I know a lot of wingers who have gone over there and then they're straight formed into this kick-chasing winger who just chases kicks and receives high balls. But <laughs> I guess one of your strengths is your ability to go find the ball. You, you're constantly around the ball, hands on the ball. For a winger, you get more touches than most. So obviously that side of your game hasn't been affected over there. No, man, like fortunately as well, I like I'm a left footer which yeah. actually means I don't have to chase too many kicks. So my 15, um, Hugo <laughs> Keenan, so he's the Irish 15 and he's actually the Leinster 15 as well. Man, he hates it, but he's very, very good in the air. Yeah. Like he's, so he's always chasing the box kicks. Like I'm, I'm a lot more in the backfield, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious, man. It's like any sort of exit. I'm like, mate, get out on the wing, mate. You're going to chase the box kick. <laughs> um, but yeah, like as a winger, like you can offer so much than just sitting out on the edge and waiting for the ball. Um, you know, and I, I back my skill set now 
my catch and pass and my handling to be able to stand at first receiver from edges and throw passes and uh, work with tens and be able to communicate to them where spaces. Um, that's that that took me a while to learn, but um, it was probably because I was a bit greedy as a kid. That's probably where that actually all stems from. That like literally like where's the ball? I'm going to the ball. Yeah. So fortunately, that that young little immature selfish boy, uh, he's he's paying off. <laughs> Another part of your game that's really noticeable is just the amount of energy you have. You always have a heap of energy on the field. Where does this come from? Is this the ADD side of things? <laughs> it could easily be the ADD side, but like, fortunately, like, I, it's it's a trade-off, man. I know if I'm providing energy through that energy, I'm telling them specifically like what they need to do. Like, that's the main thing as a, as a winger, you're a communicator, and I know if I don't have to make a tackle, it's because of the energy and specific communication I gave so everyone else makes tackles. Mm. So that there's like the trade-off is just like, well, I can be quiet and have to make tackles or I can be really loud to tell people what to do and then I don't have to make tackles. So that there's the big trade-off there, man. Um, But yeah, like it's, I don't know, like I, I used to be, I still probably am a little bit of an instigator in terms of like cheeky comments. And, but what I do, what I've learned now was I'd, I'd never direct them personally at people. It would be like small influential things, um, cheeky stuff. And I wouldn't be saying it directly to you, but I'd make sure you hear it. Um, <laughs> that's now what I did. I used to be horrific. Like used to say some really stupid stuff that I, I regret massively. Um, but no, now I, there's a bit of a thought process behind uh, a lot of the shit that I do say. Oh, mate, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> You've got a good Kiwi crew over in Leinster too. You've got good lads like Jammer on staff keeping your company. Yeah, man, he's uh, he's awesome, man. He's playing out of his skin as well. Mm. He's, I know I can be biased, but like what he's brought to Leinster and Irish rugby is a nine who doesn't wait for the perfect pitcher, who's not waiting for everything to be set. He shifts the ball and, you know, some of the times you'll pick it up and take two steps and like, the effect of that is our forwards now have to be better decision makers. It's like, shit, he could do something and I need to react. And it's just like this, this culmination of effect that he's brought to the game. He's sped it up. He's, his pass is immaculate. He's the fittest in the team, like by a country, like not a country mile, all the nines are very, very fit, but like he's very fit, quick. He's witty. He's a little dog, man. Like, especially like, I'm sure he, you you would have seen it having yeah. having him on your team, but he's still got that little mongrel in him, man. Um, and it's good to see, man. It's, he's he's been amazing. Like how he's played in the last years. He's the number one nine in Ireland by a country mile, if you ask me. Mate, that's awesome, mate. It's awesome to see him doing so well. Other yeah. thing to compare over there is the socials. How have you found the difference between the two socials? New Zealand social. So when I was first there, you know, Joey was running it and it would always you'd always punish the people who were young, so it was me, who talked too much, which was me, who thought too much of themselves, which was me. So I used to get punished at like courties and stuff, man. And like um, <laughs> man, it was bad. Um New Zealand courties, I but the thing I did do is I just accepted it for what it was. So if they yeah. told me to do something, I knew that I'd, I'd just do it because if I fought or if I bit back, it's mm. twice as worse. Yeah. Then you get, then he'll get the crowd on top of you. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> um, but over here, um, 
it's good over here, man. Like it's it's a definitely a different culture. I'd say like the pub culture over here is a lot more prominent, mm-hmm. um, and like it's a it's a general like uh, northern hemisphere thing because it gets so dark so early. Like I think that's why people like it'd be three thirty, it'd be pitch black, and people would be like. Uh, we'll knock off work early and we'll go to the pub, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> like, or, the, or they'll go for a pint at, at lunch, um, read the paper with, you know, it's it's crazy. But the socials over here, man, like we're, I've been fortunate enough to win, I think, four, four trophies since I've been here. Mm. And, man, those are the days of your life, man. Like that's the those are the best when you see like old dogs like with their tops off with like <laughs> – literally trophies on their heads um you know it's like the sun's coming up and like you're thinking about ordering a taxi they're just like shit down you're not going anywhere you know like it's those are the days man like um some of those memories like i have in my head and i'm sure you've got some um you know with with the shield and like stories you don't want to tell but man they're days of your life i never really won too much in new zealand um, you know, we won with Tassie, we never won the Shield, I never won a Super Rugby title, but yeah, man, like, winning trophies at the end of the day, that's, like, people can't take that away from you, mm. like, you can talk as much shit as you want, but I've got a European title, you know, like, you you can say I didn't tackle that yet, <laughs> I don't care, I've still got the trophy in the middle to show for it, like, man, though, you can't, you'll never take that away from me, so, it's it's been amazing over here so far, man, like, our team is still very very young with so much potential that i don't it'll be our own fault if we don't win you know Mm. um so man like the do's are very very good though there's stories i shouldn't be telling on here (laughs) which of your trophies has really stood out um it was probably the european cup of my first year and it stood out for a few reasons so i didn't realize how big the european cup was yeah for one i just thought it was another competition and it's massive. It's huge. It's it's crazy. It's literally like think Super Rugby on steroids. Like mm-hmm. that's genuinely what the European Cup is. So, in my first year at Leinster, you could only play two Aussies or Kiwis. That's so there was right. three of us. Yeah, Jamo, Fards, and myself. And at the time, like, so Jamo was the reserve nine at the time. Fards was starting six, and then I would have been the starting eleven. But we had a lot of outside backs who were very, very good. And our third nine wasn't good. So it was always, when it came to the big games, Fards and and Jamo. And I played in the uh, quarterfinal of the European Cup against Saris. And Saris are very, very good. Yeah. Um, Like, they're always really, really good. And I had an absolute blind. I played so well. And I was just like, look, like, there's no way I can't be playing in the semi. And then... Like the coach rang me and I was, I kind of knew that there was a chance I wouldn't play because of like, it was the best thing for the team was for me not to play because we needed Jamo and we needed Farts. And so I didn't play in the semi or the final, but I played like, you know, I played a lot of the pool games and I played awesome in the quarter. And it was such a, I feel like I handled that pretty well. And that's actually what the coaches said. They were like, look, you would be starting here. We want to pick you, but we can't because it's a stupid rule. And so that there was, it was a unique trophy to win. Mm. And I didn't get a play in the final. I was horrendously drunk, like <laughs> uh, on the strip because it was in Spain. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> so, 
<laughs> so like we're catching a plane to Spain at 7 a.m. in the morning and like it's literally all of the boys who aren't playing all in our suits we have like all of the management who aren't involved in the match day squad like literally on a plane and we're literally pinting at 7 a.m. in the morning it was like a three o'clock kickoff and oh we lit up this little bakery that was doing like Estrella on tap which is like a cheap Spanish beer but like it was like in a bakery and they had a tap and it was like nine o'clock in the morning and we were just like pinting the whole time and I just remember sprinting onto the field after uh when we'd won that game and like the boy like it was an amazing feeling and I like I didn't even play and I just like everyone still felt so so a part of it but the the worst thing about that in the changing room is that people started pouring champagne all over me and I was in my suit and I had to travel home so I would had like champagne beers everything just thrown at me because it was just like it wasn't in, it wasn't in a negative way or they didn't want to get have a jam they just didn't, they just wanted me to go home in a drench suit so I ended up having to go home and like literally something like a different t-shirt different pants someone else's shoes and socks and underwear because people were just pouring pints all over me but that there definitely stands out because I felt so a part of it, yet I didn't get to experience it in the final. And Russing, Russing were very, very good that day, and it was like 12-9 the final score. But um, that was definitely my favourite. Mate, goes to show your growth, eh? Because a highlighted game for you is a game that you weren't playing. Going from where you'd been, like that wouldn't have been yeah. any, anywhere near you. Be. It would have been the one you scored the three tries and you got all the ball in the final. But it's yeah, cool, we lost. cool to yeah, see that lose. growth where you feel like the biggest game that you've been a part of is one you didn't even play but the team won. So, mm. mate, huge growth from you. Yeah, it's a different world now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, cra- <laughs> it's crazy what this has done, man. Like, man, like in terms of rugby, what it's taught me. So, man, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for it. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely the the biggest game of my career, the one I didn't play. Yeah, you're a good kid. Anyway, what's the plans going forward for you? Obviously, the Rugby World Cup. We've got the three test series over here in New Zealand for Ireland. Mm. Um, you got a few big games coming up for Leinster. So what's the goals going forward? Yeah. Man, like Six Nations six is the nations, next big thing. Course. Yes, man. And like I, I was only a part of one, but there was no crowds then. Um, mm. So Six Nations this year will be a real um eye-opener to see where we're really at and yeah. um man like we've i don't see any reason as to why we can't put our best foot forward there man like i know a lot of the northern hemisphere teams are playing really really well at the moment but like we've like in previous years ireland probably haven't fulfilled their potential but i think we're taking the right steps and playing right rugby and everyone's buying into that um so six nations um really want to win a European Cup and mm-hmm. one that I get to play in. Uh, man, the the three tests of New Zealand like that, there's obviously in the back of my mind. Like if I'm fortunate enough to tour New Zealand and then if I'm lucky enough to play in the three test matches, man, that is, that's something that will go down as like, even for my family, man, like like they've never seen me play a test match live either. Yeah. Um, so that there would be a huge, uh, huge stepping stone in terms of, yeah, just for my family, man. That, yeah. That'd be really cool. That's what's on my mind. And the Rugby World Cup? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's in the back of the mind, man. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm all for this eligibility rule, but we have Tonga in our pool. <laughs> <laughs> 
though, like the thought of having Mala, Nane Lamape, Charles Piertel. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I, I voted in favour of it anyway. So, yeah. man, the World Cup's going to be amazing. If, if I'm still playing good footy and get picked for them, then... Um, Man, I'll definitely put my best foot forward. It's in France. Um, I know that if we get through our pool, we'll either be playing against the hosts, France or New Zealand. Mm. Um, and because I think we, it's us and Australia, Tonga, and then Scotland are in our pool as well. Sure. Like tough so, we're pool. we're in like literally a very very tough pool. And then our crossover games with France or New Zealand. Um, so, man, like that, there would be amazing to be a part of um something i never thought i'd i'd get the get the chance to experience but um the balls in my court and I, if i know i know if i stay fit and healthy then i can i can definitely be there so mm. uh, man that's exciting exciting times ahead for you lad and mm. post footy any plans post footy i know you own a very good shop in nelson crackerjack toys selling toys all over the show in the nelson yeah region. that's still going strong for yeah yeah yeah, it is. Uh, so my brother, my brother does that, man. He's the brains. Like he was, um, he's a very, very smart man and saw the opportunity. So we, uh, we went halves in that. Um, in fairness, like I don't do much for it, man. He's the, he's the brains, the brawn. Um, he does all that. Um, post footy, man, like that's the million dollar question. I'll be fortunate enough to have a mentor over the side of the world. Um, a fellow called Brian Crowley, who is in the private investment pretty much. He works for a, a company called Broadlake. And pretty much what they do is kind of similar to like a dragon's den sort of thing where they have they have money, they have um, people who come to them with, they might already have an established business who are looking to expand. They might have an idea. They don't know how to get it into production mm. uh, items. They don't know how to sell it. And pe literally people go to them and are like, look, this is our idea. Um, and then they go forward with how they think that they can bring their idea to life or how they can um, improve it. And um, so I'm working with him. And that's something that I think that I would like to something that I could get involved in where I'm helping start like, you know, fortunate enough, what rugby's taught me is that I've seen things from um, like the top and the bottom. So I'm literally a worker, but I understand the big picture that the coaching is trying to achieve. I, I looked to the future and that's really, that really gives me a good perspective in terms of um, what I, how I think I can help businesses. So like, mm -hmm. and I think that's how my brain is um, a little bit wired in terms of trying to like, help people but then obviously financially being able to look after it as well um that's what i think but man i've got no study under my belt i don't know what i want to study and i'm hoping uh, my fiance is a lawyer so hopefully she can uh, i'll be a stay-at-home dad man that's my plan <laughs> that's living <laughs> exciting times ahead all around anyway we've gone to our instagram for some questions and James Lowe, the Irish legend. Lots of questions came in for you, lad. <laughs> Would you say you have a Kiwi or Irish accent? Um, no, I, I'm still a Kiwi. I still have a bit of a um, niche South Dublin twang to it. Um, talking to Sumo, because he works with Eastern Afiwa, oh, yeah. um, who was actually over here. He's an Irish legend. He's mm. a Leinster legend. Mm. Um, and he's like, man, you sound like Issa so much. Like you both got this weird twang um, with your Kiwi accent. But um, 
no, I'm still I've still got a Kiwi accent. I don't think you'll ever get get rid of that from me. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, next one. Who's the biggest lad in the Irish team? We'll we'll keep it out of the Irish lads. Hmm. There's a lot of entertainers. It's so funny, man, because uh how do I phrase this? Like their humor is a lot different. Yeah. Like you their mannerisms and their um their like banter is a bit different. So I had to they will think I'm like just this big dumb idiot, like when I speak. <laughs> and I'm just like, mate, you should listen. Like, I just don't understand what you guys are talking about half the time. But there's some great lads, man. There's some really, really nice people. Yeah. Um the people who I get on really well with in the Irish team until literally my best friends over here would be um, a fellow, Jack Conan. So he um, he started eight for the Lions, for the three Lions tests. Mm. And another guy, Ed Byrne. So he's um, he's a prop for Leinster and Ireland as well. And we're, we're pretty close friends, man. We get on very, very well. And so do our um, partners. Couple makes of, it a bit easier. Absolutely, lads. Yeah, that helps. Okay, next one. Yeah. Talk us through the debut try intercept try against the crusaders a team that you have come out and said that you absolutely hate i never said that <laughs> um it, it's it's a love hate i i because they're so good is why i yeah. is why i hate them um yeah you understand that um mm. man it's that's a few moons ago as i do remember it ben tummy afuna turned in to try put a shot on i think matt todd and Matt Todd flicked it away to uh, Ben Fennell, maybe. Oh, yeah. And then Ben Fennell threw it on, at, uh, and it was going to who? Oh, I can't remember the winger at the time, but then oh, and I just stuck you. a hand out. <laughs> yeah, I just stuck a hand out and managed to, you know, it was like a deflection, and then I managed to catch it. And, um, you know, fortunately, had the wheels to, to go the whole way. And um, it's funny because Michael Ash was on the um touchline then. Oh, yeah. He actually, <laughs> he was literally there, like running next to me as well as <laughs> trying to get away from Izzy Dag. Um, and yeah, that was a cool moment because uh, I think I gave away a penalty earlier and they went six up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was a, that was a nice thing. What a try it was. Okay, uh, Ireland's chances of winning the Rugby World Cup, yeah, like the ball's in our court, man. Like, I think we've proved to ourselves that we can we can compete against the best and like i've never been to a world cup i don't understand the pressure i've only played three games in front of crowds in international rugby and they've all been at home so my like for me i i might have this um a weird opinion of how international rugby actually is because i've never played away from home but i don't see why we can't top our pool like Mm. i don't see why we can't like playing against australia tonga Scotland and every other team will be thinking that as well. Like those other teams will be like, look, we can top this ball, but man, if we play the way that we know we can play, if we prepare as diligently as we did against the ABs, I don't see why we can't top that pool. The crossover game obviously is going to be very, very tough, whether it's New Zealand or France. Um, and look, like I've we've proved to ourselves that we can do it, that we can climb to those heights. We're going to have a very, very similar team to what we did, um, you know, a few months back, man, we've got all, everything's there for us, man. And I, I don't see why we, why we can't, if we put our best foot forward and the other team beats us fair play, but we're going to go over there and make sure we don't, we don't go over there without firing a shot. Mate, no doubt. Irish to win the world cup. You've heard it here first, James Lowe. I see this is why I don't actually say it. (laughs) 
Okay, next question. Do you still rep the 03? Yeah, all the time, man. I've still got my Tazzy tattoo, my Chiefs oh. tattoo. Man, I always rep the 03, man. Like every time I score a try, it's just a subtle thing. Um, like I told you, man, I'm a homeboy. I kind of I've still got a, a little bit of juice left in the legs to play play footy over here. But at the end of the day, I'm probably going to be back in Nelson. There's this nice suburb and next to the water in Mapua. Uh, there might be a few subdivisions going up there, man. It's, uh, who knows? We, uh, that's where I want to settle, man. I, I think it's a beautiful part of the world. Mate, you're going to be my neighbour. Oh, how good's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! You you and Big Mood Coleman. <laughs> oh, living. Okay, next one. Who's the best winger in the world, in your opinion? Good question, man. There's a lot of good wingers. There is. Um, you can't go past Will. Will was playing exceptional at the moment. Over here, over this side of the world, a couple of French wingers. Pinot. Mm. He's a right winger. Very good. Uh, he's the French winger Teddy Toma, although he's 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 another French winger, plays for Russing. Yeah. Um, he's exceptional, man. He is so so quick. Uh, but then, like, I could rattle off so many, but Chis and Colby is probably my favorite winger <laughs> as well. Man, right. I could go on for days, I, <laughs> man. Well, it's crazy because all those wingers are exceptional finishers, and I wouldn't like finishing's like not my best like if I was to weirdly rate everything I like my finishing's good but it's nothing on those boys like absolutely nothing so I kind of envy them in a, in a lot of ways and that's a good way to be similar question who's the hardest player to tackle hardest player to tackle well I think a lot of people would say Artie like I was listening to your podcast with him man like his his ability to stand and tackles to be physical um to not want to go to the floor Mm. Um, he's he's got a silly dummy that a lot of people fall for. <laughs> um, <laughs> this old thing, but man, like his footwork, his, his acceleration, his ability to beat the first tackle. He initiates contact a lot of times. Like you'll think you're like trying to lean in for a hit, and all of a sudden he's hitting you. Mm. Um, man, he's he would be the hardest player to tackle for sure. Oh, I like that. Okay, two more. What's Johnny Sexton like? He's an old man. He's the most, <laughs> second most expensive 36-year-old in the world after Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> nah, he's a, he's a gentleman, man. Like, probably gets portrayed um, in a negative way because what you see of him is him giving out or, um, you know, being a grumpy, which he is grumpy. But the thing is, is that he wants the best for you. I think when he retires, there is going to be a massive void that mm. needs to be filled in Irish rugby. And there's three or four tens who are putting their hand up, but I still think Sexto is the number one ten. And he's 36, man, playing the best footy of his life. He's 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 a smart footballer. He's a bit like he's, he's Tom Brady-esque in terms mm. of he knows so much about the opposite team that he'll come to you and be like, oh, did you see the scrum where the winger went one way to drag you. So then they've got a cross field kick for, you know, like he's, he's that in tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, now nah, he's a very, very good rugby player and we're going to miss him when he, you know, hopefully he's got another two years in him. Mate, at least surely he's a lad. Okay. Last question. Best piece of advice you have for our listeners. Um, Oh man, you put me on the spot here. Um, piece of advice, like don't be afraid of, I guess, like growth or criticism. Like um, 
surround yourself with good people who always have uh, your best interests at heart, whether that's family members or friends or even just someone you trust, man, who you can go to and have open and honest conversations with people who you know are going to give you the feedback that you do need because sometimes it's hard for you to accept you're in the wrong. And like, even when I think back to me when I was 21, 22, like um, I see myself then as being very selfish and very close-minded in terms of how I thought and how good I thought I really was. And yeah, surround yourself with good people and don't be afraid of criticism. Like make sure they've got your best interests at heart. You'll be, you'll be flying it. Mate, I knew you'd come up, Trumps. Great piece of advice to finish the podcast and to finish season two of What a Lad. What a year it's been and what a way to finish it with one of the great yarns from such a lad, James Lowe. What a journey that was, mate, from going through what you did when you are a young fella to where you are now. It's been an inspiring journey to follow and, mate, I'm super excited to watch you in the future with hopefully back over here playing in these tests and then hopefully the Rugby World Cup as well, mate. Looking forward to what lies ahead for you. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast, mate. It's been awesome. Cheers, mate. Good to see you doing so well. You're a lad.